Welcome to Write It Down, a space to hear original written work read aloud by me, your host, Posey Lewis, and other creative writers. Our show brings voices to the airwaves that share creative insight into the world around us right now. Today we welcome Baltimore native David Bodewin, a widely published poet who performs his work in venues throughout the city. David was the founder of Tropo Press, one of the region's most respected alternative literary presses, as well as The Pearl, a Baltimore journal of the literary and spontaneous arts. He served for more than a decade as a literary panelist for the Mayor's Committee on Arts and Culture and was instrumental in the creation of the Artscape Literary Arts Award. Today, David shares his work with us and joins me for a discussion about the evolution of his poetic voice, the power of reading a poem out loud, and the importance of knowing where you come from. David, welcome to Write It Down. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Your work is the first poetry that we've showcased on the show. I would love to hear you talk a little bit about why you write poetry. What is it about writing a poem of all things that feels right to you? It's hard for me to sort of step back and think of what I would be doing if I wasn't writing poetry. I've been writing poetry since grade school. For lack of a better way of putting it, it's just something I was given to do. I think one knows when a means of creative expression presents itself that you're either taken by it and sort of carried downstream or not. And I think everyone has that desire to express oneself in a creative way. I remember there's this old and wonderful quote by St. Augustine. I think the original was, it doth make a difference whence findeth a man's joy it makes a difference where you find your joy. That's what I find with poetry. The first poem, which is called Maine after uh, Rackstraw Downs, it's funny how one finds a way of expressing one's feeling for a place through the eyes of someone else. And in this case, Maine is a place that is too far away, (laughs) but very dear to me. Immediately from the first time I was there, I sort of recognized it in a funny way. You know, when you haven't been to a place before and you you get there and you feel like, I've been here before. And of course you haven't, but (laughs) it feels like you should have been. Maine has this numinous immediate quality to it that's inspired so many painters and poets over the years. In this case, the painter, British painter, uh, who actually lives in the States, he's about 80 years old now, Rackstraw Downs. I was at the um, Farnsworth Museum in Rockland, Maine, which is a wonderful place, looking at a um, retrospective of painters who had worked in Maine in the uh, 50s and 60s. There was a diptych, a, a kind of a two-panel painting that he did that was part of this. And it was called, believe it or not, uh, and forgive me, because it's a long title, <laughs> The Mouth of the Passagasawog at Belfast, Maine, Seen from the Frozen Foods Plant. Mm. <laughs> and I immediately found myself drawn into the landscape of that painting in a way that I was suddenly found myself placed there. And the poem 
came from literally that painting, but as as such a way of really kind of expressing, I guess, my feelings about Maine in a broader sense. Maine, after Rackshaw Downs. Yellow school bus crosses sketched bridge in a distance. Closer by, a bird tweets as cuts tide empties. It is a day unlike many, peaceful and plain. Some people will eat frozen food from the plant nearby someday, but I will not, and so I go. A whiff of what's dead now rises from mud flats as fading weeds brush my legs, fling their seed in hope of some tomorrow. But don't we all, a painting, a poem, ah, to live outside ourselves forever? Such impudence smirks the cloud. Go find another before colder winds bully you away into far sky. Oh yes, we will try our best as the worst surrounds. Move on, old man, foolish with dreams of finding some light in jittery tides of this gray day, as one bird still sings. How do you feel that your voice as a poet has stayed the same? Oh, well, I don't think it stayed the same. I think the impulse to hold a pen in my hand and scribble something on paper is certainly a continual act. But if one follows a a certain type of creative endeavor or medium, I guess is a better word, one's whole life, you find that you change and that you pass through several different people. I think Chaucer used it in a poem, the life so short, the craft so long to learn. And so we spend, you know, our lifetimes following that star and trying to navigate to it or by it. In doing so, if you're any good and if you're honest about your work and your discipline, that you will change. I know that I've changed profoundly (laughs) over the last, well, let's see if I started writing in third grade. Gosh, I guess 60 years. You change a lot. There's a big difference between reading someone's work on paper and hearing it aloud through their Mm -hmm. voice. And we're so lucky to hear you read your poetry today. What is powerful to you about hearing a writer read their own work? I think primarily right away that it connects you more immediately with the poet's voice in terms of how she feels the poem should be heard. The music in a poem, you're not going to hear if you're just reading it silently on the page. When I taught school, I always insisted that in order to really understand a poem, you had to read it aloud. You know, I would tell my students, just go into the bathroom and shut the door and just read it in a strong voice because it unlocks so many things in a poem. The composition, I look at it in probably much the same way as a painter or a musician 
would probably more painterly in the fact that I'm presented with basically a, a blank piece of paper, which in my mind has both breadth and depth, so that if I am composing a poem that, that obviously I want it to fit, the line length should fit the way I speak, if I were to read it aloud, and also in actually the arrangements of, of the lines on the page have at least intuitively a, a certain meaning and intent. And it's not just a random thing right. to, to sort of look cool. Um, <laughs> William Carlos Williams said, a poem is a machine made out of words. It is composition. The second poem after Elizabeth Downing is part of a series of poems I've been writing about, I, I guess, people who I deeply admire and who have affected my work. And again, in terms of being an homage, um, this one obviously is an homage to uh, a dear, dear friend of mine, fellow adventurer, the painter and a musician, Elizabeth Downing, here in Baltimore. It is a loose sonnet, and it kind of plays on that convention of writing a poem that is reflecting the work of another writer. This is uh, one of which I'm particularly fond. After Elizabeth Downing. I dream I write a great poem entitled Valediction Forbidding Pop-Tarts. Then wake up in your backyard, glazed with rainwater and white chickens, only I'm still dreaming because everywhere eyes are on the wing and wow, monkey has big teeth. Here in your Talapusa Bardo, there's old magic in every splash and eddy. I'm drifting now like you into a far place where mute prayers of the dear-headed strangers I can almost make out where you whisper, decked out in a hoop skirt of blue kudzu. Let's slip outside to the orchard tonight. Watch those satellites sing to the peaches. So the final poem we're going to hear from you today is about Baltimore. What is your relationship to Baltimore like? And what makes it such a rich source of inspiration for you? Well, I'm a Baltimorean, first of all. My family's been here, I think, four or five generations. At this point, having lived here my whole life, I'm sort of, uh, you know, the guy that never left town. Every day, I'm sort of stepping in the footprints of so many ghosts. And I've always been interested in the city, although I have written some, some, I guess you would say, straightforward history poems about the city. Uh, when you're from a place, and I think it's important to know where, you're, where you come from, or where you're from, I guess is a better way to put it. The Greeks had a word for this when you were a, a local, as they called it. The term they used was, uh, I think it was pronounced autochthonous, which means you're springing from the ground from which you came. It's almost like, you know, you're planted <laughs> from there and you grow out of that soil. I think that the city, although I have lots of problems with it, as, as anyone would, with a place that they're from. Um, you can complain about any place, really. It continues to open itself up to me in interesting and surprising ways. 
the poem that you mentioned, Ted and White, which is a kind of a homage to the late poet Ted Berrigan, who was very big on appropriating lines of poetry from other poets he admired. So I, in turn, appropriated the kind of the reverse of a poem that he wrote called Whitman in Black. And my title, of course, is Ted and White, and also appropriated part of the first line. But what I was doing there, as I was starting to, I wasn't sure where the poem was going from the first line, for my sins, I live in the city of Baltimore. But it kind of unfolded right away out of that. I uh, found myself tapping into that emotional topography of this place. It sort of rolled right out, as they say. You're talking about the city opening itself up to you over the years, and I can imagine that it's opened itself up to you as you've written about it. I'm interested to hear what you feel writing does for you in that way. Like, what can it teach you about where you come from, where you are, where you're going, anything that is around you? I think if you find your muse in a place as opposed to, you know, any other subject matter, that you're always wanting to sort of do a deeper dive, which is not necessarily historical. It's it's always, of course, always about one's relationship with one's place. You're kind of pushing through to try to get more into that sort of liminal quality of that place. What is it a metaphor of for you? I mean, Baltimore is, is is many things other than the people who have lived here and the history that has, has flowed through it. I guess to some degree, I'm kind of looking for a reflection of myself in the city that I live in. I'm trying to understand my curious loyalty to this rundown burg. <laughs> <laughs> in white. For my sins, I live in the city of Baltimore, immutable as it staggers into the sea, its crooked shore, uncertain of any harbor, impure and beautiful, like a cigarette butt in last night's drink. So must I also think like Poe with an aching head of dark and transcendent things that drift from those alleys, follow us back to our little blue home. Let these poems be our fiery word in these haunted streets, turning all shades but our own to things as real as stone, where we can read our death has not been written yet. Even with monsters at the edges, it is a map where we can live. This city, they keep building as it falls. The water's current carries everything away but what we feel, who we loved, where we went that night for crabs and beer. It will never be more real than here. write it down, we're encouraging listeners to put their stories down on paper and do something with them, whatever <laughs> that may be. Do you have any advice for someone who isn't sure if they have any stories worth telling? Like, how do you know when one of your ideas is worth writing down? 
<laughs> to be really candid, or and I hope this doesn't come off as sounding too blunt, but you're never sure. I don't think anybody really can be. I, when you said that, I immediately thought of, I'm sorry to be Mr. Uh, Quotomatic today, but a poet who I like very much named uh, Frank O'Hara wrote an essay once uh, about, uh, it was the only essay he ever wrote about poetry because he thought it was silly to do that anyhow, but he was asked to. And so in doing so, he addressed the fact of how do you know if, if your work is any good or not? The gist of it was, if you're being chased by a mugger down the street, you don't turn around and say, give it up. I was the track star at my high school. (laughs) (laughs) You just run. (laughs) And he says, you just go on your nerve. You don't know if you're any good or not. The only way to find out is to do it. You know, it sounds obvious when you say it, but I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about, especially if they aren't accustomed to hearing their own artistic voice in whatever mm-hmm. medium. You just don't know if what you have is something until you make it, is I think a really, really important thing for any artist to hear. I mean, it's like falling in love or learning how to swim or going to a new school or any endeavor that that you enter into in this life is going to be a little scary, but you just have to go on your nerve. features original musical scoring by Levi Lewis, and our guest today was poet and performer David Bodowin. Write It Down is a space to be less polished and more open. With that in mind, if you have something to say or a story to tell, write it down and share it with someone you love, bury it in the dirt, or send it to writeitdown at whcp.org, and your voice could be heard on the show. Join the conversation by following us on Instagram at writeitdown.whcp. I'm your host, Posey Lewis, writing my way through with you.